in our study in the Gospel of Mark. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, it is the sermon series that we're in. We are in the end of chapter 2, so as you can tell, we just started. But in some weeks, we, we uh, just delve into a couple of uh, verses. Sometimes it's a whole chapter. But this morning, we are in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Mark, and that is verses 23 to 28. So, of course, in a little while, they'll be up on the screen for you as always, but if you'd like to turn in your Bibles as well, it's Mark chapter 2, and it's verses 23 to 28. We have been looking at what it looks like to be a disciple, because Mark, as we've seen, is a man of action. So Mark has a very unique writing style, and he uses the word immediately a lot, and you'll see he uses his phrase, on the way as Jesus, as his disciples were on the way somewhere. And that somewhere ultimately is the cross. And as we get towards the end of the book, you'll see that Mark gives a lot of attention to Jesus last week here on earth. And uh, so we're going to see that uh, Mark is kind of quick moving in the way that he uh, retells the story of Jesus and his ministry. Uh, but we want to make sure that we take time to look at God's Word together, all right? So here at Trinity, we love to go through books of the Bible. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we do so because we want to cover the whole counsel of God, not skipping over anything, of course. And so it's the first time together that we are doing one of the Gospels, and, and so here we are in Mark chapter 2. And just as a recap, you remember that uh, John the Baptist uh, was the one that was preparing the way for Jesus, and we've seen some of his disciples now become uh, converts and to the way of Jesus, and we see that Jesus is beginning his public ministry, and he's out there preaching and teaching. He backs up what he has to say as truth with miracles, casting out demons, and healing people. Um, and but we also see that his focus is on the teaching. But in doing so, we realize that Jesus is going to get a lot of. Um, create a lot of controversy and get a lot of slack from the religious leaders of the day because he was teaching things that was against what they believed, what they were teaching. And so we see Jesus spent a lot of time um, confronting the Pharisees, the scribes of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders who were leading God's people astray. And Jesus came preaching the kingdom. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What Jesus meant by that was change your mind about me being the Messiah, he's saying, for the kingdom of God is at hand because I am the kingdom, Jesus is saying. I have arrived. I am your Messiah. But he is meeting controversy after controversy all along the way, and today's passage is no different because we saw last week and the week before that Jesus was eating with sinners. Remember that? He, he called Matthew, who was called Levi, the tax collector, and the Pharisees were outraged that he was eating with sinners. And we also see that they were outraged that he was just eating at all. Why wasn't he fasting? And so in today's passage, we're going to see that they were all upset that Jesus was working and allowing his followers to work on the Sabbath. right? And that was against the tradition and the law and the way that they interpreted it and taught it. So Jesus has some very interesting things to say about it. Very short and sweet, but packed with so much truth. So that's where we are today. So our theme really this morning is the Sabbath. What does it mean 
to take a Sabbath, to be on Sabbath, to go on Sabbath, what did Jesus and the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, what did they believe was the Sabbath? And what did Jesus teach? Because as so many things that Jesus came to teach, we see it was just the opposite of what the religious leaders of the day were teaching, right? And that way we say Jesus in many ways was a radical revolutionary, not in a way to bring, to bring war, right, or to bring violence, but he came because he was overturning the religious system of the day, not even just to reform it, to, to, to bring something completely new. We looked at that last time, a new covenant he came to bring. So that's where we are. We're going to focus today, what does it look like? The Sabbath from the eyes of the, the people of Israel, the religious leaders, and of course from Jesus. And then, as always, we have a time of application and implication. What are the implications for us as the church? Are we to still keep the Sabbath? Is today, Sunday, the Sabbath? What does that look like? What is required of us? And what does Jesus say to us? I'll start with a story, and it's one that um, will kind of get the point across, I think. That there was a story told once by um, a pastor, and he was, uh, it was in Minnesota somewhere where it gets really cold and lakes are frozen, and he was on his way to church one Sunday morning, making his way, and there was a lot of traffic. There was some kind of traffic jam, and he couldn't get to church, and if he was going to be on time, and of course you would hope the pastor would be on time, right? that he had to skate over a lake. Now, of course, you know, if, I guess if you're living in Minnesota, you carry your skates with you. And so he had to skate, so he skated across the lake, to bypass, left his car there to bypass all the traffic so he could get to church just in time. And of course, the elders saw this and were just confused. They were frustrated. They were incensed, even, that the pastor would skate on a Sunday. Right? So they let the service go, and afterwards, the elders pulled them aside. These are supposedly the spiritual mature ones, right, in the congregation. Pulled them aside and said, Pastor, did you skate on the Lord's Day? Did you skate on Sunday? And he said, yes, I did. And they kind of muddled and looked at each other, and he said, well, if I didn't skate, I wouldn't have been here on time. So they talked amongst one another, and then finally, the head elder spoke up and said, well, let me ask you this, Pastor. Did you enjoy it? And he thought, and he said, not really. And they looked at each other. They said, well, then it's okay. <laughs> so what's the idea, right? I mean, we all know, for many of us that have been Christians for a long time, been in different kind of churches, we've seen things change. But there are still many Christians, many believers, God-fearing people, brothers and sisters in the Lord, who are still tied up and held down in what we might call legalism. Right? And some of you might have grown up in that, so you can certainly understand that. That really is what Jesus is speaking out against in this passage. Because the religious leaders were so legalistic. They had taken the, they had taken the law of God, the law of Moses, and added so many other traditions to it. Adding to it. Remember we talked about the fast. There was one day a year, the Day of Atonement, when Moses had said, God says we're supposed to fast on this day. But the Pharisees and the scribes, they said, no, we need to be fasting more because it'll make us more righteous and more holy. So Monday and Thursday, they had to fast. and made it a regular thing. See, they added all these laws, and what happens? 
they become, again, what we might say is legalistic. And I think we could all probably tell stories about our history, perhaps, in churches and people we've been around that maybe you were like that or maybe caught up in that. But see, even that silly little story about the pastor might ring true to you about things that you were told, no, this is not acceptable in church. Well, let's look at this first. Jesus came to bring freedom, did he not? We can say amen to that. Jesus brings freedom, first and foremost spiritually, right? He frees us from slavery to sin through his blood and his blood only. But that freedom permeates every part of our Christian life, right? It permeates into our worship. We have freedom to worship as, as God uh, through his spirit moves us. But we are free in him. So I want to look at just a few things from this passage. I'll read it in just a moment. That really show us what Jesus is trying to say. Because you'll see as I read it, he says it in a very sort of obscure way. But I think it's pretty straightforward and simple what he actually means by it. Because he is being called out by the religious leaders, Jesus is, for working and allowing his followers to work on the Sabbath. And that was a no-no. They weren't allowed to work. I've told this story before, but my father grew up in Newark, and when he was a kid, there was a, a temple or synagogue right near his house, and um, the, the rabbi would pay my dad a nickel to go in on the Sabbath and turn all the lights on. And then at the end of the day, he would come back. I don't know if he got another nickel, probably just covered both. He'd go back and turn them off. Why? Because that was considered work, see, to turn the light switch on and off. That's really the idea, the mindset that Jesus was speaking out against. So look at what it says. This is Mark 2. It's just 23 to 28. But again, they're confronting him because they were in a wheat field. And he's allowing his disciples to eat some grain a little bit. And, and of course, it seems like the Pharisees are always around, right? They're always there. So they must have been following him too. It's not like they just heard and said, hey, you go to that meeting, I'll go to this meeting. Like, they were following him, why? Because they were interested, they were concerned, they were mad, all those things. They wanted to see, and of course we know, they, all along the way, they were trying to trap him. But here's what it says. One Sabbath, he, of course, meaning Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, that's Jesus and his disciples, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence which it, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That's our passage for today. Our focus, of course, will be on verse 27 and 28. The Sabbath was, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What did Jesus mean by that? Well, first we just kind of review what's happening. So Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field. That was not against the law. It says they were plucking heads of grain. Also, interestingly enough, was not against the law of Moses. What the law said was that you were allowed to go through a neighbor's grain field 
and you could eat some of the wheat right off the top, as much as you could gather in your hands if you were hungry. What you were not allowed to do was to take some kind of implement and take a whole bunch of wheat or put it in your pockets and take it for later. See, there's a difference. Why? Because I believe God was allowing for those, as Jesus says, going back to David, people that were hungry and in need. So what does Jesus do? Right away, just like he did when he was tempted in the desert, he goes back to the word of God. Doesn't he? Isn't it amazing? He is the living word, and he is preaching the word of God himself. So he goes back, he says, have you never heard? And I love that, because he's basically saying to them, you should know this, right? But he says, have you never heard of this story? So we won't go back to it, but basically there was a time when David went into the storehouse with him and a whole bunch of his men who were tired and hungry. They had been at war. There was you know, battle going on, and they came into the storehouse to eat some of the consecrated bread. The bread, the meal, the grain, whatever it was that was set aside only for the priests. Nobody else was supposed to eat it except for them. But David brings his men and they go in and they eat some of it. And why? And Jesus even gives a little description. He was need, he was in need and was hungry. And so was everybody else. In that story, and of course in the Old Testament, God did not condemn him. Why? Because God is merciful. See? So we're going to get a little bit more of that later. But Jesus uses a story that they should have been well aware of and says, hey, haven't you heard this story? How about we talk about this? This is right in your wheelhouse, Pharisees. You should know this, that David ate some bread. He wasn't even allowed to. But this, what Jesus and his disciples were doing, that was okay. But you know what? That isn't what the Pharisees were upset about. Not that he was even eating or that his disciples were eating the grain. It's that they were working. The idea of plucking the grain, see, that was work. So they're saying, how is it, how is it, Jesus, that they're doing this thing that is unlawful on the Sabbath? What, he was taught, what they were talking about was working. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. Picking out grain, from the, even if it's one piece of grain from the field, that is work and that's unlawful. See, that's where the Pharisees had gotten to. All of these laws, these rules, these regulations that they had added on. And of course, like every other time, Jesus is saying, you're missing the heart of the matter. You're missing the whole spirit of the law. God didn't condemn David because there was a need. He didn't strike David and his men down for eating the consecrated bread. So we consider this. It's been said that if moral behavior was simply following rules, we could program a computer to be moral. See that? If moral behavior was simply just following rules, we could program a computer to be moral. But of course we can't. Because morality is not just following a bunch of rules. Right? Legalism does not lead to morality. So a quick review of what's going on here in the background. Then I just, of course, want to focus on the implications for us, church, today. What he means by the Sabbath. What does it mean to work on the Sabbath? And what are the applications for us? So, Jesus, of course, got a lot of scrutiny from the religious leaders on this. He had already come across that when he was forgiving sins with the paralytic, remember that, and when he was dining and eating with the sinners. And then, of course, here, 
what he is doing on the Sabbath. There's even uh, something we'll get to later on another time when he is healing on the Sabbath. Even worse. So we'll get to that another time. That's in uh, Mark 3. Actually, we'll get to that next time. And so the Pharisees were calling him out. right? But Jesus then says, the Sabbath was made for man. You know what the Sabbath was? First of all, in Hebrew, the word Shabbat means rest. So the idea of Sabbath means rest. So let's make sure we understand that. God instituted the Sabbath first in Exodus 16. We won't turn to all these, but you can write down the references. The Sabbath was first commanded to Israel when they were in the wilderness in Exodus 16. It had previously been unknown to them. It's not like he just came right to Abraham and said, here's the Sabbath, okay? The Sabbath was not commanded by God until the time of Moses, okay, with the Mosaic Law. So, um, and of course it was then codified in the Ten Commandments uh, with Moses. But the basis of the Sabbath, which is also important, again, this is the truth of what the Pharisees should have known and understood, it was based on the fact that God himself rested on the seventh day. And we understand that, right? So in the creation story, God rested on the seventh day. But also God gave it to Israel, the Sabbath, as a special sign between them and between God, Exodus 31. He also gave the Sabbath to Israel to remind them of their slavery in Egypt in Deuteronomy 5, to remember the goodness of God and to rest in that goodness, okay? But then Jesus says, and we'll get more focused on these two phrases, he then says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, right? So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. We also saw, Mark uses this phrase a lot, Son of Man, okay? Jesus used it of himself, the Son of Man. So as the Son of Man, as the Lord of the Sabbath, he's basically saying, I have the authority to interpret it, okay? So I can, ter- I can interpret it, as uh, is needed, so that's why he tells the story of David. He's basically saying, okay, I have come to fulfill the law. Let me interpret the law through the Messiah's eyes, right? And that's what we should do all the time, too, filtering through everything we read through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus tells that story about David, right? And he even goes to Scripture, have you never read, right? So as Lord of the Sabbath, he has sovereign authority to interpret what the Sabbath is and how it should be used. But also, also with that, he has the authority to rescind it if he wants to because Jesus came to fulfill the law. Not to do away with it, but to fulfill it. See, in Jesus, he fulfills it. So look at some implications here. I just want to mention five things. We'll do this briefly. So first of all, for us, what does this mean for us as a church? So we understand basically what it meant for the people of Israel, it was um, given with the Ten Commandments, with the Law of Moses. It was a day of rest, and, but of course the religious leaders went so far to the extreme with it, missing the heart of why it was given to the people of Israel. But how do we translate it for us then? First of all, let's notice this, that Christians are not required to follow the Jewish Sabbath rules. Now I think that's obvious, but I think it's worth stating that we are no longer under the law. Do we understand that? Right? We are no longer under the law. That Jesus came to fulfill the law, so in him we have been given freedom. Didn't Jesus say in the Last Supper this is a new covenant? We have the Old Testament, the New Testament. We cannot understand the new without the old. 
But Jesus said, the old is gone, the new has come. This is a new covenant in my blood. Okay? No more sacrificial system, only Christ, the perfect Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. See? So we as Christ followers, as disciples, remember Mark and his gospel is all about what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus and a disciple? Okay, so we're learning that we are no longer um, under the law, so we are not required to follow the Jewish Sabbath rules. We talked a lot when we went through the book of Acts about the Judaizers, remember them? They were believers who were saying, okay, when Gentiles get saved, they have to be circumcised, they have to go, uh, follow all the laws to be a true Christian. And remember, Paul came along and said, that is a false gospel, and that is not true. They even had a meeting about it, right? The council in Jerusalem to say, look, no, we should not make it harder for the Gentiles, they said, the leaders did of the early church. They never said anything about, yeah, they need to keep the Sabbath laws. So there were some who said, no, yes, we believe Jesus is the Messiah, but we still have to stick to our religious laws. But look at what it says here, and this will be up on the screen for you. In Colossians 2, 14 to 17, so important for us. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the, circums and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by doing what? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That really sums up the whole message of Jesus today. All of those things in the law were but a shadow of what was to come. And what was to come was Jesus Christ himself fulfilling the law. See? It says they were just a shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the Old Testament regulations were only a shadow, but the substance is in Christ himself. Jesus claims in our passage to be the Lord of the Sabbath. That means, of course, he's the expert about it. He didn't come to cancel the Old Testament, but to fulfill the Old Testament law. Right? Number two, Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. Let's, let's, take, a, let's take a minute to think about that. We've kind of heard, perhaps, maybe in, in your upbringing and different churches you've heard, that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. We understand there's this idea of rest and setting a day aside, and we're going to look at what that means and how we should interpret what we do here, what we're doing right now on Sunday. But Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath, because what happens is if we believe that, that then ends the natural progression and end result is legalism, just like with the Pharisees. If it's the Sabbath, then we say, oh, you haven't been to church? I've heard of pastors and elders. Somebody misses church two weeks, they go to their house. Where have you been? Do you have your tithe today? Can you imagine? I mean, it happens. It's that idea, keeping a record, how many weeks have you been in church, that kind of thing, right? If we call it the Christian Sabbath. A little bit of a history here. I love Christian history. Follow with me here. So for the first 300 years of Christianity, so Christ dies, he rises again, and you have 
Paul and the apostles, and they're spreading Christianity throughout the known world. Remember Jesus told them where to go, right? Jerusalem, Judea, to the, to the ends of the earth, right? And Samaria. And he says, um, he says to go and to spread the gospel, so they did. So for the first 300 years, till about the middle 300s, this is A.D., right? The followers of Jesus were persecuted. They were arrested, executed by the Roman Empire. Christians were thrown before wild animals in the Colosseum. We've heard those stories. We've seen renditions of it in paintings. But in the mid-300s, or the early 300s, there was a Roman emperor. We've probably heard of him. His name is Constantine. And he changed all that. See, what happened was Constantine's mother, Helena, apparently became a follower of Jesus and kind of planted the seed with him, spread the word, and kind of influenced her son to legalize Christianity. So almost overnight... Christianity became the legal and authorized and official religion of the Roman Empire. It's almost like unlike on a Tuesday they were being persecuted in the Colosseum, and then Wednesday they were set free and there was no more persecution. That's great, of course. But what came along with that was almost in a sense what Constantine did, not only by saying you are free to believe, but by making it the law of the land, almost was like paganizing Christianity. And so what happens is, we then see for about the first um, 12 centuries of Christianity that the Sabbath was called the Christian Sabbath because Constantine himself was the first one to declare that no one should work on Sunday. You ever know that? It goes all the way back to that. That he was the first one to kind of make that edict and that declaration. I mean, Constantine made himself the bishop of Rome. He basically said, okay, I'm a pope now, right? And he declared that there should be no work on a Sunday. So he's starting to legalize these things, right? But Sunday had traditionally been, at least for the first 300 years, a day of work. Slaves had to work on that day. People worked. We'll look at that more in a second. So what happens then in Christian history again for about 1,200 years or so, right, after Constantine, that um, Sunday is looked at as the Christian Sabbath. But then comes the Reformation. Remember we spent a whole series on that, looking at what we called the five solas, right? Sola Scriptura, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, and Sola... Um, Christos and Sola Deo Gloria. And so the Reformation comes, Martin Luther, right, in the 1500s, and they, they tried to reform the Catholic Church, and what happens is, of course, there's a big split. It's the Reformation, so we now have Catholics and Protestants, right? And that's what happened. But one of the things that the Reformers really didn't touch as far as things that should be changed, they did a lot, very important things, right? From Ephesians 2 about um, being saved by grace through faith and their focus on Scripture as authority alone and not the church. So many key foundational things to our belief today. But one of the things they didn't really touch was the Sabbath. So it remained. Even the Church of England in the 1600s, about 100 years later, they gathered together to to, um, codify what's called the Westminster Confession. A lot of you might have grown up with that. And you might have had to memorize parts of it. And in the Westminster Confession, it says, Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. So it it continues. The Church of Scotland embraced that confession. 
That is where, if you didn't know, the Presbyterian Church got its start, from the Church of Scotland. But also then, how about in our country, the Puritans? When the Puritans, the ones who came over and sort of founded, you know, a big part of the founding of this country in New England, they were called, as sort of a slang, they were called blue noses. See, back then, I found this really interesting, the, the word blue, I don't know why, but the word blue was kind of a slang word for people that were strict and legalistic. So, of course, the other peoples that were not Puritans, they recognized this with the Puritans, and they said, oh, they're blue. That's where we get blue laws from. Some towns, some states, they still have blue laws, which means companies and businesses shouldn't be open on a Sunday. Now, we do have some Christian-run companies today that decide to do it on their own. Hobby Lobby, you have Chick-fil-A, two of the more popular ones. They decide to do that. They get a lot of flack for it. People in business say, you're, you're losing billions of dollars. And they probably turn and say, yeah, but we're making billions of dollars, and so it's okay, because why do they do it? To give their people a day of rest, see? But it's a choice. Really interesting. But that's sort of where that all came from. So who said that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath? Constantine did, the Roman Catholic Church, the Church of England, the Puritans did, but the Bible never does, see? There's this common error that Sabbath keeping, right, means that Sunday is the Sabbath. But no, see, the Sabbath command really was to do no work on the Sabbath day. That was the actual command. But here's something also we have to recognize. Again, talking about how Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath, per se. In the book of Acts, whenever you see a meeting being held on the Sabbath, that meeting was a meeting of Jews or Gentile converts to Judaism, not Christians, right? So if they were meeting on the Sabbath, it wasn't a group of new Christians. It was Jews or Gentile converts to Judaism. So the question then is, when did the early church meet? Did they meet on Saturday, the traditional Jewish Sabbath? Did they meet on Sunday? Well, how about Acts chapter 2? We'll look at that. Acts chapter 2 gives us part of the answer. Every day... They, meaning the church, continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So when did they meet? Every day. They met every day. But if there was a day that Christians seemed to have met regularly, it was Sunday. Not Saturday, the traditional Sabbath. Why? Sunday is the first day of the week, but why? Most importantly, this church, the early church recognized the resurrection of the Lord Jesus as the cornerstone and foundation of their faith. So they got together on the first day of the week to, to celebrate the new life in Christ. See, it's like it's the first day, it's the new day, it's the beginning of a new week. We are new creations in Christ, it's a new covenant in Christ's blood. It's all about the newness. And they said, that's when we're going to get together. It's the first day because Jesus rose on that Sunday. So we're going to celebrate together in a big group whenever we get together on a Sunday. But they kept meeting throughout the week. It wasn't just Sunday church. They got together all the time. They ate together. And they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. So you know what they were doing? They were learning. They were growing. And they were serving one another. Isn't that awesome? That's what they were doing. That's what we are to do, church, not just on a Sunday. That leads to legalism if we say, we're going to check off our box. I went to church every Sunday this month. 
I don't know. Are you expecting it? Maybe I can give you a gold star or something, you know? But that's the idea. So we don't ever want to fall into that because we have been given freedom in Christ. And so, yes, they gathered regularly on Sundays, but also, it says, every day throughout the week. So is there a Christian Sabbath in a sense? Yeah, it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's every day. You see that? Another interesting thing. If you look, at, uh, look at, uh, with me at Acts 20, here's one of those funny stories we kind of chuckle at. But look at what's in here. This is Acts 20. Uh, this is that story of Eutychus who was listening to Paul's sermon. Remember what happens to him? Look at what it says. It says this, it says, uh, on, this is verse 7 of Acts 20, on the first day of the week, there it is, so Sunday, that's when they were gathered, okay? When we were gathered together to break bread, remember Luke is writing Acts, so he's talking about what's happening, Paul talked to them, so Paul is preaching to the group. He intended to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. A young man named Eutychus probably a slave, we're not sure, who would have been working on that day, on a Sunday. Sitting at the window, he sank into a deep sleep. Paul was evidently you know, a very riveting preacher. He talks, Paul kept talking. My version says still longer. Paul kept preaching and preaching and preaching. And being overcome by sleep, Eutychus fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Isn't that a story? Right? But here's what we get from that. Right? What do we learn from that? We learn that, yes, they were meeting on the first day of the week. So Paul was holding church on Sunday. But it was not in the morning. It was in the evening. They had evening services. Why? Because people had to work. Eutychus was a slave. He was probably working. It says Paul preached till midnight. I don't think it means he started at 10.30 a.m. and preached till midnight. Right? I don't think he would have had anybody left. So they met at night. So if we want to say, well, we want to be just like the early church, okay? So we're going to meet every Sunday night, right? We'll, we'll meet when the sun starts to go down at about 8, and then we'll be here till about midnight. We in for that? But that's kind of, okay, so let's look at the history of it. So it was Sundays, but it was in the evening. So is there anything wrong with worshiping on Saturday? No. We should worship God every day, Saturday, Sunday, every day of the week. There is freedom that we have in Christ, right? But should a Christian practice Sabbath-keeping or like not working on Saturdays? If you feel led to do it, go ahead. But Scripture also says don't let your brother assist you, judge you for it, and don't you judge others for doing it, right? So Sunday we often call the Lord's Day. Why? Because we celebrate the resurrection. It's the primary way that we gather to worship that primary day, but it's not the Christian Sabbath. A couple more things, then we're done. Number three, by resting, again, this is all about the Sabbath. What does it mean to us as Christians? By resting in the finished work of Christ for salvation, we fulfill God's Sabbath. Remember what Sabbath means. Shabbat, it means rest. So are we to keep the Sabbath in a spiritual sense? Yes, in Hebrews 4, 9 through 10, it says this. Interesting couple of verses. So then there remains a Sabbath, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works just as God did from his. I want to read that again. This is Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, 
But this is the writer of Hebrews saying, he's saying there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's actually a future tense. There is something now, but something in the future. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Again, going back to creation. In the creation story, God rested from his works. So there's two things going on here. This really is an eschatological statement. It's about future things. He's saying, in the future millennial kingdom, right? This is from the book of Hebrews, after all. For the people of Israel, those who are then saved... He says there is a time of rest coming, a Sabbath. But what does it mean for us that we rest from working for our salvation? Maybe the most important thing that we could say all morning. Because what did Christ say on the cross? Did he not say, it is finished? What did he mean by that? He meant so much. It is finished. The work has been completed. I have fulfilled the law, Jesus is saying. You don't need to work for your salvation anymore. I have taken all your sins upon me, Jesus says. And from the cross, he says, it is finished. Church, let it be finished in your life. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus, then you have gained freedom. Freedom from the slavery to sin, to legalism, to works. Jesus says, I have done it, and it's a gift for you. We reach out in faith, and we accept that gift then the righteous works comes. The ones that it says in Ephesians that God has set aside for us beforehand, right? We as his masterpieces, his work of art. To do those good works after that moment of salvation, we do those things not to hold on to or to maintain or to keep our salvation for fear of losing it. No, we do it out of the joy and thanksgiving of our heart as an act of worship. So see, to take a Sabbath rest really has that deep spiritual meaning Take a Sabbath rest, friends, from trying to work to earn salvation. You can never work hard enough. You can never earn enough points with God to earn that freedom. Jesus has secured that freedom for you. So in that sense, there is a Sabbath, a Sabbath that we keep every moment of the day with Christ within us because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He said, it is finished. He said it. Fourth, we should practice God's healthy rhythm of work and rest. So the Sabbath, it's not a law that we have to obey, but there is a principle in there of a healthy balance of work and rest. We hear about that a lot these days, don't we? We do. And you know what? All of us, we're all overworked. What do they say? Overworked and underpaid, right? Whatever, but... We're all, you know, we're all crazy. We burn the, 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 the candles at both ends. We do that. It's part of our society in this country. If you've ever been to other countries or even other parts of this country, you can say, wow, things are a little slower, right? My son Luke just spent a year in Hawaii, and the aloha spirit is a real thing. But he just spent a year in Hawaii working, and he moved to New York City. And he said, Dad... There's no aloha spirit in New York City. (laughs) But you know what he does? This is something they do in Hawaii, and it's it's cultural. It's part of the culture in Hawaii. That's why Hawaii is such an interesting state. Yes, it's one of our 50 states, but it's so unique from the rest because there is an indigenous culture there which permeates everything. 
there is this aloha spirit. So every Friday, no matter where you work, it's not just you know, one particular company. No matter where you work, Fridays are casual Friday, and everybody wears their Hawaiian shirt. Those are, those are big there. But he actually says it's kind of like you're dressing up when you wear your Hawaiian shirt every Friday, no matter where you go. People are wearing their Hawaiian shirt. Every Sunday, pastors, they're wearing their Hawaiian shirts, right? So Luke, every Friday now in Hawaii, where he's working now, I mean, now in New York, he wears his Hawaiian shirt. And his workers are like, hey, what's that? And he's like, oh, this is the Aloha Spirits, you know, Hawaii Friday. And they're like, oh, we're doing that? Great. So now they're all out getting Hawaiian shirts, <laughs> right? Trying to bring the Aloha Spirit to New York. I think he's got a little bit of work cut out for him, right, to do that. But here it is. We need to have that great balance of work and, and that rhythm of work and rest. We have to do it. So there is that element of Sabbath, of Sabbath rest. So let's not make, let's not turn Sunday into a legalistic thing or a Saturday, whatever else. But yes, we are to practice the principle God gave us way back in Genesis. He worked for six days and then he rested, didn't he? Work six, you rest one. That's been a big part of our society. We kind of maybe work five and rest two. It's a little bit more. But the whole idea is this. For us, church, take that time of rest. If you get vacation time at work, take it. I don't think you're going to impress anybody by saying, no, I don't need my vacation. I'm going to keep working. Even more so, today in our culture, you're seeing employers saying, no, I want you to take your personal days, take your, your vacation days, be with your family, rest. You need it. Right? We need those mental health days, as we say. We need it. So take that time. Work hard. Do your best for the Lord to be a representative of him and wherever he places you to work, but then rest. And rest well. Rest well. So make sure, as Christians, that we do follow God's design for working and working to represent him, to honor him, but then to rest. God said it in Genesis 2. The seventh day, he blessed it. He made it holy because on, on that day, God rested from all the work that he had done. Take that day. If it's Sunday, let it be Sunday. And look back over the past week, right? Say, yes, this is what we accomplished. And you look ahead to the new week and you see what's coming up. But isn't it awesome that we gather here on the first day of the week? Why? So we can be recharged. We can learn and grow together so we can be ready for another work week, but it's part of that Sabbath. So yes, in that spiritual sense, there is that Sabbath. Two last things, two last pieces of uh, parts of Scripture I want to share with you. Um, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, a very well-known passage, but here is that, that important word rest, the word Sabbath. What does it say? Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. It doesn't just mean physical rest. What does he say then? He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You need that time of soul care. Rest for your souls. Do you know why he was saying this? We always want to look at scripture in context. Jesus is saying this because again in that in that passage he is confronting religious leaders and those who are caught up in that legalism and he says, "No, I've come to bring freedom 
just come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Remember we talked about that once, that yoke, the thing that binds the oxen together. He goes, take my yoke upon you. I'll do all the work for you. And in me, the Lord of the Sabbath, you will find rest for your souls. Physical rest, emotional rest, spiritual rest, mental rest, all of it. He says, come find rest from all of the do's and the don'ts, from all of the work and the legalism. He says, I've come to bring peace. Can you please just embrace it? Come to me and I will give you rest. Finally, we recognize very simply that we are free. Let's look at the heart behind the law and what Jesus, what God has said to us. The Sabbath is for our benefit. Jesus says it right there. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's what he means. The Sabbath, he's saying, was made for your good and your benefit, not for you to worry every moment of that Sabbath. Am I keeping the law? Is God going to strike me down because I didn't do this, that, or that? He says, the Sabbath was made for you. God gave it to you. He modeled it in the creation story, a time of rest. Not man for the Sabbath. He's saying, not all of these religious legalisms and laws and traditions not added on to it to stress you out. We need less stress in our lives, don't we? So he says the Sabbath was made for man. And he goes, the Son of Man, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So come to me if you're weary and heavy burdened with all these laws. That's what he means by heavy burden in that text. If you're, heavy, if you're burdened and weighed down, By that sense of legalism, he says, embrace the freedom I've come to bring. I'm going to read Isaiah 58 to you, the whole chapter. Maybe you've read it before. Just sit and listen. It's going to be up on the screen and and, and read it. Isaiah 58. Listen to these words. See what God is telling you through what it says in Isaiah 58. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. If they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't even noticed, they're saying to God. Yet on the day of your fasting, you just do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. That's God speaking to them. Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? And then he tells them what it should look like. To loosen the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the, of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Does that sound like freedom? Yes, it does. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them. 
and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call. The Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins, will raise up the old foundations, You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How powerful is that? He's calling out the people of Israel in that day and saying, this is what you're offering up to me? It's just idle words. There's no heart behind it. It only leads to legalism and strife and quarreling and arguing. He goes, this is what I want from my people. I want freedom. How about you go help the poor and the needy? Set the oppressed free. Bring mercy and compassion to the people that are in need, that are in bondage and in chains. He's saying, live out the freedom that I've given you. If only you would embrace that. Church, that word is for us today. Let us truly embrace the freedom of Christ and be the people of hope and of peace and of freedom that he's called us to be. Let's have time of rest in our lives, a regular rhythm of work and rest, but make sure we never swing that pendulum the other way towards legalism. For Christ has set us free from that. We shouldn't hold others to that and, hold, and be judge of others either. Church, let's be unified in this. Let's go before God and ask him for that soul care that we would cast our cares on him. And he will bring rest for our souls. And finally, please, let us not try to continue to work out our salvation like we need to hold on to it because we're going to lose it. We are secure in Christ, the Holy Spirit given to us as a seal until he returns. I hope you believe that. But let's go live it out and preach it. The people that need to hear it, to love them, to tell others, introducing them to Jesus, the Messiah who brings freedom. Let's pray and close our time with worship. Father, thank you for the sweet time in your word. As we Use our closing moments to worship you and praise you in song, God. Let us be reminded always that you are our king now and forever, that we bow down to you, but in you we have freedom. Freedom in no one else. So thank you for that new covenant in your blood. Thank you that we are new creations in you, Jesus Christ. And may we even worship now in freedom, worshiping you in spirit and in truth, for you are our king. We thank you for being our king, our leader, our servant king. We give it all back to you, Father God. Lead us in a time of freedom and worship as we leave this place, Father God. Help us to be people of freedom. 
living it out amongst others, recognizing that you are the only hope for this world that is in chains. God, bless us, have mercy on us. May we represent you well in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.